Pushed into the net by Kylian Mbappe. Depay! And he stretched it! Pornay finds Dembele. The first touch is good. The second is deadly. Neymar still! Oh my word, what a goal! Golovin! Lovely finish! Must be the opening goal. Benedetto! And Bagnon! Fantastic! Outrageous goal from Gael Kakuta! Play it again! A goal back! Oh, Benedetto! Beautifully done! Sensational! Hello and welcome to Le Bourge, the official Ligue 1 Uber Eats podcast in association with BT Sports. Coming up, we look back on the Champions League final. Paris Saint-Germain, so close, but in the end, it was heartbreak for Neymar and friends against Bayern Munich. We also discuss the opening weekend of Ligue 1 Uber Eats action. We look ahead to next weekend. We have an exclusive chat with uh, Lorient's goal-scoring debutant, Adrian Gerbic, but of course, we are going to start with that Champions League final, Paris Saint-Germain against Bayern Munich. Uh, joining me, I've got Armel Tangi. He's with us here in Paris. How are you, Armel? Morning. I'm very well, thank you. Yep. Yep. No Champions League final hangover for you. Dave, how are you feeling? David Crossan is here. Yeah, feeling good. Disappointed for French football that PSG couldn't do it, but then OM had to lose a final before winning it two years later. Maybe it'll be the same. Very true, very true. Andy Scott is with us. Andy's been out in Lisbon for the last couple of weeks. He is still there. Andy, you're, you're planning on coming home at some point? Uh, yeah, my flight leaves in, in about exactly four hours' time. So uh, hopefully I'm, I'm, I'm close to the airport and uh, they've told me I can stay in my room for an extra couple of hours. So apologies in advance if the cleaning ladies didn't get the message and they knock on the door at some point in the next uh, half an hour. But I hope that doesn't happen. Yeah, the cleaning, the cleaning people. We don't say cleaning ladies anymore, uh, Andy, quite, quite rightly. But listen, let's... Well, they um, are cleaning ladies, but anyway, uh, they, yeah. They are. <laughs> let's, um, let's, for anybody who, who didn't watch the final or maybe hasn't heard what happened, let's, let's hear what happened at the Estadio de Luz. It's Mbappe to Neymar. And Neymar again. And Neuer for the second time makes the block. Brilliant bite, Manuel Neuer. What a start. Here's Di Maria defending for Davies to do. We won't get that, Di Maria. No. Right in front of the assistant. Ooh. Given away. Here's a chance for Mbappe, who's looking to find room. And then Herrera. Mbappe straight at Neuer. What an opportunity wasted by Paris Saint-Germain after a terrible Bayern Munich mistake. Right on the stroke of half-time. Saint-Germain are too disappointed with the way the game's been played at the minute. They're quite happy for Bayern to have the ball in their half, knowing that they've got that That's opportunity to counter. That's a much better ball by Thiago. Gnabry with the ball in. Here's Kimmich. Here's the chance for Koeman! And there's the opening goal of the Champions League final. And it's the best passage of play we've seen so far from Bayern Munich. And the player selected tonight by Hansi Flick to come into the starting 11 has repaid the faith of his manager. Paris Saint-Germain nil, Bayern Munich won. The smile on the face of Manuel Neuer says it all. And for the sixth time, Bayern Munich are European champions. Well, guys, it was it was a really intense game of football. Paris Saint-Germain had their chances, I would say, particularly in, in the first half, a little bit like Lyon did in, in, in the semi-final. This Bayern Munich team, it is a machine. Um, and ultimately, they, they were too strong. Dave, um, will PSG have, have regrets tonight? I mean, obviously, big disappointment, but some regrets as well about those chances. Of course, yeah. I mean, 
with PSG throughout, even the Dortmund away game, they didn't play well there, but they had three big chances. Against Bayern Munich, they had three big chances. I thought Bayern Munich had actually learned a little bit from playing against Lyon. They didn't play with such a high line. They weren't going to allow Mbappe the space to get in behind them as much. I thought Kimmich did very well patrolling that area of the field and nullified Mbappe. Neymar didn't manage to get his dribbles going the way he had in the other knockout games in Portugal. But for me, and sadly, I think this was predictable and it's something we've mentioned over the last 18 months since we launched this podcast, Paris Saint-Germain's problem is their midfield. They have just not sorted out this area, uh, even when they had the Motta Matuidi Verratti midfield there were problems with that Thiago Motta brilliant as he was didn't move play on quick enough now that Marquinhos Herrera Paredes midfield I'm afraid you are not going to become champions of Europe with a midfield like that Andy um I was going to say look uh Lekeeps marks out of 10 this morning Neymar three out of 10 Mbappe three out of 10 Di Maria four out of 10 I was going to say is that the problem but Dave obviously makes a good point about the midfield and, and perhaps the service wasn't there either. Yeah, I think, I think Dave's hit the nail on the head, actually. I, I mean, it, the, when we talk about Paris Saint-Germain, uh, inevitably, it gets boiled down to Neymar and Kylian Mbappe and to an extent Angel Di Maria. And I actually, I'm going to call out a friend of mine um, from, from the UK and I'm going to call him out because he's been sending me messages in the last couple of days asking me these questions about players in France and so on. And, and I keep saying to him, well, funnily enough, we've done a podcast on this, which you could listen to. He clearly doesn't listen to the podcast, so I'm going to call him out. But he sent me a message last night after the game saying, is, is Kylian Mbappe really that good? Every time I watch him, he doesn't seem to deliver. My reply was, my reply was, obviously, this is a guy who scored in the World Cup final when he's 19, right? Now, the fact that Kylian Mbappe and Neymar didn't have a great game last night, well, you know, it can happen in the Champions League final against the brilliant Bayern team. They were narrowly beaten. You know, you can maybe overanalyze this and say... At the end of the day, we look for what went wrong, but PSG were just beaten by an ever so slightly better team on the night. But if you're looking for the real reason, I agree that I think that the midfield is is a relative weak point in this side. And of course, you know, if you don't have the players who can get the ball to Neymar and Mbappe and Di Maria in the first place, and that's a problem. Thiago Alcantara was was brilliant last night, and um, Leon Goretzka as well to an extent. And Bayern just had the edge in that area. That's what made the difference. But also, we have to acknowledge that Neymar and Mbappe didn't take the chances that came their way, particularly Mbappe's one just before halftime when he, when he shot straight at the keeper after being gifted the ball by David Alaba. And, and, and Thomas Tuchel said after the game, you know, that he thought that if PSG had scored first, they would have won the game 1-0. And actually, you know, he might be right there. I think that it was such, such a tight contest, the kind of game that these two teams don't often get. They usually win fairly easily. This time it was a really good contest and PSG were just on the wrong side of it. Yeah, I mean, you say... Mbappe gifted the ball by David Alaba, perhaps at the start of the move, but it was a brilliant pass from Ander Herrera to set him up. And it was Herrera's second brilliant pass because he'd also set up Di Maria. I thought Ander Herrera did, did really well. But you talk about that midfield. We have to also acknowledge the fact that Idrissa Gay and Marco Verratti were not fit. I mean, Verratti came on, but clearly it was very difficult for him to, to come back from injury and to step into a, a match like that. But I would... I would be inclined to agree with you guys, especially when you look at the, the Bayern bench, you know, the depth and the overall quality in that midfield at PSG isn't, isn't the same. But um, Armel, what, 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 what were your thoughts for you? Was it a problem of midfield? Was it a problem of just Bayern Munich being, being too strong ultimately? I don't necessarily think we have to look for a problem. Um, yes, the midfield was lacking creativity last night, but... They still managed to contain Bayern Munich quite well. I think uh, 
you mentioned the strength and depth of that Bayern Munich team. It's not every side that can just hold them to 1-0 once they go ahead. I, I, I don't think PSG have too much to look back on with negativity, but for the sake of debate, if you were to look for another problem that wouldn't be the midfield... It was the German against Paris, uh, Thilo Carrera against Kingsley Coman. That right-hand side of Paris Saint-Germain's defence was being exploited by Bayern. They were hitting them with every attack. And when you've got Kingsley Coman and Alfonso Davis attacking at you, I'm not sure which right-back you want to pick. But it's another point, you know, having shipped off Thomas of Meunier before this run-in. It's another point that PSG might be slightly regretting, but... I'd like to think there aren't too many regrets in the Parisian camp because it was a great effort getting to the final and they put in a, a very good... put well they, were, they were up for a very good contest anyway. Well, I think that's a really good point, Armel. I think, you know, Tilo Kere, I don't want to single him out because he didn't have, you know, a, a really poor game. I thought, you know, he, d- he did all right, particularly in the first half going forward. But at this level, if you do have a slight weakness, you get found out. And I think, you know, PSG don't have a specialist right back who is, who is at the, the required level at the moment. And um, sadly, that, that became quite obvious, I think, as, as the game progressed and as Alfonso Davis and, and Kingsley Coman had, had the run of that left-hand side. We're, we're going to head to Lisbon. Um, now we're going to hook up with Robbie Thompson. I was really hoping we'd be joining Robbie and having a good laugh with him, finding him in a very merry mood, having partied all night following a PSG win. It wasn't the case, though. So, um, Robbie, first of all, how are you doing? And... Uh, how how did the whole experience last night go for you um, within the PSG camp as you are? Morning, gentlemen. Yes, uh, the morning after here in Lisbon, it was a it was a fairly uh, subdued evening, as you can imagine, at the team hotel. Um, I interviewed the players and the coach immediately after the game at the stadium. Still, and while obviously people were devastated, Angel Di Maria was was inconsolable basically uh Killian was in was in uh the the dope testing so we didn't see Killian he didn't even return to the hotel with the team he arrived about half an hour 45 minutes later um but I spoke to Thiago Silva after what will be his last game for the team and and the coach Marquinhos and Herrera as well who was who was very eloquent after the after the final despite using some uh ineloquent words in in one post-match interview that I read but uh, I think the overall feeling was obviously bitter disappointment at the game we know that Paris had their chances and that in a final like that you have to take them particularly in the first half and and in the end I think Bayern's pressure and their possession just told in the end I thought their goal was was very well worked and 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 was a result of just that pressure that that they put on that Paris knew they would I think uh, the game probably turned on the fact that Paris just couldn't get that little bit of possession in midfield that they needed to transition. They, I'd seen them in training. I'd seen them prepare tactically for the match and they'd, they'd tried to suck Bayern in, their wide men in and their fullbacks in. So they'd pass the ball around Kalor Navas, Thiago Silva, Presnel Kimpembe pushing out wide and try and and wait for Bayern to come and, and almost take a risk at the back. But then in training, the idea was to find Marquinhos, to find Ander, to find Leandro Paredes and transition quickly. And that they failed to do just because Thiago and Goretzka were, were superb again. Muller made life very difficult for, for Marquinhos as well. 
so tactically, you know, just as Paris were prepared and had a game plan, obviously Bayern did as well. And uh, in the end, I think it was an even match that Bayern shaded and it's and that's where you shade a 1-0 victory. And it's just a shame for for Paris. But there was overall a feeling, and in the interviews I did, and a feeling within the camp that it's been a very positive two weeks here in Portugal, a very positive two months since lockdown, and even probably a, a, a very positive six, seven, eight months since the turn of the year where, where the team has shown a great spirit, has come together. And symbolically, just making a Champions League final for the first time ever, I think, is a huge step forward for this club that we know has big ambitions and, and wants to go further. I think it was reflected when we got back to the team hotel, all the staff, everyone uh, around the, the, the club that was here in Lisbon made a, a guard of honour for the, for the players when they hopped off the bus and walked through and the fans were there. There were nearly 100 ultras who were amongst the, the crowd as well outside the front of the hotel. And, and there was a feeling of pride and of, you know, there were chants of Merci Paris and, and well done to everyone and a, a very respectful applause. So it was nice. And I think overall, once this, this bitter defeat is digested, Paris can look back on this very, very, as an important time in the club to, to think they've taken a big step forward. Andy, we, we were saying, um, you know, Neymar and Mbappe perhaps didn't have their best games ever. That can happen in a Champions League final. I think uh, Killian has a pretty decent excuse insofar as he was coming back from injuries, just had, you know, 90 minutes or slightly more than that. But, uh, you know, I don't think he was totally sharp. Neymar, on the other hand, looked to be in peak form, um, had that great chance at the beginning that Manuel Neuer saved. But, you know, I think particularly looking at him in the second half, he perhaps tried a bit too much by himself. A lot didn't come off. Can we look at Neymar at the age of 28 and think he, he blew, you know, a big chance there to establish himself as the best or one of the best in the world? Uh, yeah, possibly we can, yeah, because obviously he, he, 28 should be the peak of his career. Um, but again, I, I come back to what I said before, that, you know, sometimes, sometimes you can't overanalyze at the end of the day, they've lost 1-0 to, to, you know, I think we would accept the best team that there is right now. So, you know, there wasn't much in it. I mean, Neymar obviously got a little bit frustrated at times in the second half. There was a little bit of needle. Um, and I think, you know, there was quite a lot of comment on social media last night when Niklas Zula came on. And certainly when you're in the stadium, you know, it really is striking. Niklas Zula is enormous. You know, he really is enormous. And, and, uh, and he kind of helped Bayern um, just by just by giving him that aggressive edge and, and just making it that bit harder for, for Neymar and Di Maria to impose themselves. You know, Neymar and Di Maria are, are, are spindly little players, really, at the end of the day. They, they really give it a fight. But, yeah, it was a frustrating night for Neymar. Um, I don't really know what else to say, though. You know, I mean, Manuel Neuer made that great save from, from in the first half. I mean, that could have gone in and it would have been a different game. It's, it's, these are the things we analyse on, little moments that go one way or the other. Um, but there, there is a deeper point to this, of course, which is that Paris Saint-Germain paid 222 million euros and 180 million euros for Kylian Mbappe as well, uh, not just to get to these games, but to win them. And um, the, the challenge now for PSG is to, is to keep these players for long enough uh, for them to get back to the Champions League final and win it next time. And it will be harder next time because, uh, assuming all goes well uh, with this wider health crisis, then there will be two-legged uh, ties in the quarterfinals and semifinals next season. And, and on past evidence, uh, that would suggest it will be a bit harder for PSG to get to the final. 
Um, and and just getting to the final is an achievement. Winning it is even the biggest clubs in Europe don't get the chance to to win it every year. It's seven years since Bayern have been in the final. So PSG just have to hope now that they don't have to wait seven years or longer to get back to the final because then, of course, it will have been too late for Neymar. I think that Neuer say was a bit lucky, wasn't it? The ball was basically past him, his legs, and then he, he was lucky that his hand was there behind. But um, no, he's a great goalkeeper. I, I think what was striking for me, though, was at 1-0 down, trying to chase an equaliser, trying to force extra time, having zero faith in Mauro Icardi, a player you've just signed for 50 million euros. That's where PSG missed Edinson Cavani. That especially with what Andy says about Sula's physical presence, if you're trying to, if it's not working for Neymar playing as the sort of false nine, then surely it's good to have a proper centre forward and he can operate in a slightly different area and see if something can happen. And Thomas Tuchel didn't go to that option, which is really disowning Icardi, much more so than in the semi-finals where it all went so well for PSG. But when you're 1-0 down and you don't turn to a man with his goal-scoring pedigree, there's a problem. But we've said in the in, in the past that Tuchel picks players on merit and he obviously thought that Chupa Moting deserved to come on ahead of him. I, I have to admit, watching the second half, I, I was a bit perplexed as well by the changes. Um, certainly Chupa Moting, that chance at the end, it's the sort of chance that Icardi probably would have probably would have snapped up. We will, we'll, we'll never know. But I, I was also amazed he threw on Julian Draxler um, at a key moment in the game in a key position in, you know, in the middle of the pitch, he took Herrera off. Herrera was playing well. Okay. Perhaps, you know, physically he was starting to dip a bit, but Draxler has been in the cold for the last year. I mean, he's hardly played. His confidence must be rock bottom. I mean, that is, that is a huge gamble. And frankly, it misfired because Julian Draxler must've touched the ball twice. He gave it away. I think both times. Armel, Thomas Tuchel, you know, it's, it's one of those where, like you say, we're, we're talking about fine margins and if, if, PSG, if Neymar's early goal goes in, Tuchel will be heralded as a, as, as a genius. Um, but Armel, I think he's a bit culpable. I don't know, I don't know how you would analyse his performance, Thomas Tuchel. Well, he, was, he was lauded for his substitutions in the, was it the, the quarterfinal when he, he waited to make the changes. And that's because he got it right. He got it wrong this time. But it is, that, but it is always that's easy. That's life, isn't it? it isn't that's, it? Yeah. yeah, it's life. Again, I don't know if you can really look for the problems. Uh, perhaps Julian Draxler had to come on as a Jordan contract being number 23. They wanted to see that on the biggest stage possible. You never know. Just but... uh, for our listeners, uh, new listeners, that's Arnold's sense of humour, by the way. It's not being serious. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, we've got a little panel here just making sure everyone knows that. But I, you can't... I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm reluctant to point the finger at anyone. I'd rather say well done to Kingsley Coman representing the Paris Saint-Germain Academy on, on the biggest stage in the world. I'd like to say something positive. Okay, you might not expect this from me, especially as I'm going to say something positive about Thiago Silva. I mean, fair play to him. I've criticised him in the past rightly for his performances in the big knockout European games, but I thought he had a very good game last night and credit to him for signing that short-term contract extension. Tuchel obviously likes him, kept him as the captain and probably wanted him to stay on for another season. But um, if Cavani had followed Thiago Silva's lead, we're, we're into those hypotheticals. The, the fact is, as Andy and Armel have been saying in particular, that it was that tight. It could have gone either way. PSG lost. It's unfortunate. I think they will be back, but they do have to do some rebuilding. Marquinhos will go into that Thiago Silva position next year and take the captain's armband. And then they've got to sort out the midfield. That's the big challenge for Leonardo over the summer. But Dave, they, they, they can still call Thiago Silva up this week and say, listen, we want to, you know, do you not think they should be keeping him another year? There's talk that he's going to be signing for Chelsea. You look at his performance last night, 
surely he's a good guy to have around. They could manage his game time as well. Um, I, personally, I, I'd be keen to sign him up. If you'd asked me at the start of this season, whenever that was, 13 months ago or whatever, I'd have said, no, he's definitely into his last season. No chance of a contract extension. But the way he's played over these five massive games, yeah, in, he's still a top-level player. Uh, the, I think there's another thing to this. I mean, I mean, we talk about it being a very, uh, an extremely close game, which it was. I mean, I mean, that is what you should expect. These are the the fourth and fifth richest football clubs on earth. Uh, it, it is. It, we should have expected a close final. That's what we got. But I think, I think the the fact that Kingsley Coman scored the winning goal uh, does shine a light a little bit on on PSG's uh, transfer policy and the policy with young players in recent years. And obviously, you know, we said I said at the beginning. It's all boiled down to Mbappe and Neymar. PSG's policy under the Qataris 2017 was they threw this money at these two huge superstars. And in the short term, it was to the detriment of the, of the collective. Thomas Tuchel has now gained huge praise because he's, he's, he's managed to build this, create this great spirit in the squad. All the, all the French media build up to this game is about this incredible, great team spirit that, that, that he has generated and the players have bounced off that and got to the final. But we shouldn't look you know, too much further than the fact that Kingsley Coman playing on the Bayern left compared compared to the, the PSG left, which is where Mbappe was last night. He, of course, left PSG as an 18-year-old because he, he thought that he wasn't going to get much of a chance in the first team there. And that, that history the history has repeated itself this summer because Tongi Kwasi has done the same thing, the exact same thing. Another Paris-born PSG youngster has decided to not sign a professional contract there and go to Bayern. And the other thing on this, of course, is the players out of contract who have not stayed, like Edinson Cavani, and Thomas Mounier as well. I actually thought that Alfonso Davies, PSG could have got at him a little bit more than they did last night. And if they had a player like Mounier who could deliver the ball a bit better from the right-back position than Tilo Kera, which we touched on before, then again, the outcome could have been different. So there is a wider issue with PSG's recruitment policy, which, which is going to be very important in the weeks and months ahead because... You know, they do need to strengthen in certain positions ahead of a, another assault on the Champions League. Yeah, talk even in L'Equipe this morning that a former Paris kid, Matteo Genduzzi, could be among those uh, being lured to the Parc des Princes. I just want to take you up on the way you said that, Andy, talking about PSG's flawed recruitment policy or, or what have you. It's not their choice that Kingsley Coman left. It's not their choice that Tongi Kouassi, that, you know, and Tongi Kouassi, he was playing. He was playing regularly under Thomas Tuchel. Kingsley Coleman, um, perhaps his choice, well, I guess it has been justified. He's won in Juventus. He's won a, a, a Bayern Munich now. And I guess they're doing it because they can see the Neymars and Mbappes and they're thinking, well, we're not going to get our chance. But to say that PSG, you know, uh, are jokers or have a flawed policy because they're producing wonderful footballers and they're leaving on a free. But that's the problem for a lot of French clubs. The, the guys are leaving before they sign their, their first professional deals. Oh, so, so, hold on. I didn't call them jokers. I, I mean, I think, <laughs> I think that, um, I mean, you're right. It's their choice. But they're making that decision because of a wider issue. You know, and, and I, mean, I mean, look at the Bayern Munich team that played last night. I know they've, they went to Dortmund and they took Robert Lewandowski and, and, and they've done that with lots of other players. Of course, they took Kingsley Coman, who'd been at Juventus. But they've got guys like Joshua Kimmich, Thomas Muller, who, who've come through and, uh, and, and David Alaba and... and and become first-team regulars, and they built the team around these players. And we're not seeing that at Paris Saint-Germain. Kylian Mbappe is the kid from the suburbs, from Bondi, and, and he, he is somebody who the, the kids from the suburbs around Paris can identify with, and that is fantastic. But they still have to go to Monaco and pay 180 million euros for him. Kimpembe. I was going to say Kimpembe there as well. And, and also, to, 
to show that PSG are producing players. Look at uh, a PSG youth product in each of the four semi-finalists with Nkunku, uh, Leipzig and Dembele uh, at Lyon, as well as the two who played uh, in the final last night. So that, that's impressive. So, Armel, should they, you know, should they not be go- going out and buying five, six players this summer? Actually, should they be looking at their youth team? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, it, history would show now that they've got enough quality in their youth ranks. Um, my, another point I was going to make, comparing the two clubs, Bayern Munich have a B team that pushed to get into the second division pretty much every season in Germany. PSG don't have a B team anymore. So it's sort of once you've reached 17, 18 and you're hugely talented in the Parisian Academy, everybody in France, everybody in Europe is going to be hanging around that academy, having a look at these players. And it's just a precedent's been set. That's the most difficult thing now for Paris Saint-Germain is to deconstruct the the precedent that has been set by previous players who've gone on, like Kingsley Coman, to win 20-odd trophies before the age of 25. As Matt says, though, it's not unique to PSG. And Lyon have a, a similar problem. They give youth players a chance, but then... You just have to look at Nice, and I'm sure we'll talk about them a bit later in the podcast. Uh, they sell them off for 7, 10 million, 15 million sometimes, the way that PSG have done as well. And it can, it can come back to bite you, but they weren't getting their first team chance at the time, or they felt they needed to go elsewhere to pursue their careers. And that is modern football. Andy, just to, to, to finish on, on PSG in the Champions League, Robbie was, uh, despite everything, despite the the emotion, the trauma of last night, he was upbeat and, you know, fair play, Robbie Thompson. And he says, you know, we've got to take the positives. There are a lot of positives. Um, it's, you know, it's back to the bread and butter now. It's back to Liga. It's back to, to you know, mounting another challenge in the Champions League. So that's going to start pretty soon. Are, are we right to feel very positive about PSG? Yeah, I think so. I think um, I, I read last night, in fact, I read in La Keep, uh, in the early hours of this morning, a piece by the Venerable Vincent Deluc uh, talking about how Paris Saint-Germain are the seventh consecutive first-time finalists to lose in the Champions League final. So this happens. It's, a, it's part of a learning process. Um, but the key thing is that this, is, this has been a very strange Champions League. Obviously, it's not been like uh, any other one. We hope that it is, it is a one-off. And so let's see if they can come back stronger. I mean, just I, I, think, I think it's worth putting into just describing a little bit the fact this game was played behind closed doors. You know, they're, 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 I mean, I've been to games at four for breaking uh, East Fife where there have been bigger crowds than there were in, 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 in the Stade de Luce last night for the Champions League final. There was a- just, yeah, just for our, sorry, Andy, for our listeners <laughs> around the world, he's talking about Scottish football. Ca- carry on, Andy. Well, not just Scottish football. We're talking about like the bottom divisions of Scottish football. The, the, the fact is, and I, and I think, you know, people listen, watch the game and they listen to the piped in atmosphere and stuff. And they maybe slightly lose a sense of what it was like. But this was bizarre, really bizarre. Uh, and, and the point is that this whole Champions League campaign will hopefully remain a one-off. But from a Paris Saint-Germain perspective, obviously, they have to hope that it's not a one-off, that they can build on this and come back stronger. And maybe it's a good thing that they don't have time to reflect because they've got a game in Lens in five days' time. So this is the start of the season for them. And, and you know, I'm sure they'll go into the knockout stages of, of the next Champions League and... Let's see how fresh they are uh, in March and April next year. I think, if anything, um, Bayern Munich had a sort of advantage in terms of the crowd because their their backroom staff, they were pretty vocal, weren't they? Second half, just heard them roaring after every tackle and uh, it was almost like they were playing in front of supporters. But uh, fair play to Bayern Munich. Well done to them. Don't worry. Ligue 1 um, and Ligue 1's teams will be back in uh, in force next uh, next season. We've got 
of course, Rennes competing, Marseille as well as Paris Saint-Germain. And we're, we're, we're all looking forward to the draw. But it's now time to turn our attentions to the domestic action. And uh, there was plenty of it. If you, if you were wondering why Armel has been so chipper this morning, it's because he's been back in the commentary hot seat. He had the honour of uh, commentating the opening game of the 2020-21 season. Armel, um, let's, hear, let's hear his commentary then. It was Bordeaux against Nantes from the Matmut Atlantique. First big coming together of the new Ligue 1 Uber Eats campaign here. Nicolas Palois clashing with Mehdi Zerkan. And Mehdi Zerkan on his Ligue 1 debut is off. Nicolas de Preville gets it back from Sabali. Stretching the uh, knot left-hand side there, and Bassett strikes one towards goal. Best effort of the evening so far. Nicolas de Preville's ball into the middle. It was a free header for Huang Yijou. And he'll certainly feel that he could have done better with that one. Well, Armel, good to be back in the, in the commentary hot seat, I guess. It, it wasn't the most eventful uh, of matches, nil-nil, uh, between Bordeaux and Nantes. Oh, where to start? Um, that was entertainment at its finest. Um, right, I'll try and put a positive spin on it and get some interest going. I suppose it is logical that it was so cagey when you consider the fact that Nantes have been sort of juggling players in and out of quarantine for for. Most of the summer, they had four players missing due to COVID-19 positive tests. And on Bordeaux's um, side of things, this was the first 11 set out friendlies and competitive games combined by their new coach, Jean-Louis Gasset. So for him, it was more of an experiment, I suppose, to see how the players got on and he'll start to work from there. Kind of explains the boring goalless draw but um, I know Matt you'll be pleased to hear that the best player on the pitch by some way was Laurent Cassioni his his reading of the game um, was probably the only thing I'd draw a line under on my uh, list of things to know Armel you know Bordeaux were down to to 10 men in the first half weren't they so I mean ultimately it's not it's not a bad point for les, les Girondins sorry it's it's a much better point for Le Girondin than it is for Nantes. Yes, no doubt. Their uh, 21-year-old winger, Mehdi Zerkan, sent off on his professional debut 20 minutes in. It's probably not how he saw that going. Yeah, but Nantes struggled for goals last season. That was their big issue, really. They're quite a solid team, but they can't score goals. And Well, there you are. They played 70 minutes against 10 men and... Couldn't find the net. I'm optimistic for Bordeaux this season, despite all their problems over the summer. I think in Jean-Louis Gasset, they've got the right man. He's loved by footballers. He has a way of speaking to them and deserves a lot of the credit for Laurent Blanc's success as a coach uh, with Bordeaux and with Paris Saint-Germain. And with Alain Roche uh, in as sporting director, they're now getting people around the first team who know what it means to the people of Bordeaux and that's important for them but um, yeah and they're not the greatest team they'll do well to finish in the top eight well we saw so uh, you know a fairly slow start to the action the second uh, contest took place on Saturday afternoon Angers getting a, a really good win away from home 1-0 against Dijon and then uh, 
the big game really of the weekend was between Lille and Wren. Lille, who finished fourth last season, just one point behind Wren, who have, have of course qualified for the for the Champions League group stage. And I was very lucky that I had the pleasure of commentating this game from the Stade Pierre Morois. Here's what happened between Lille and Wren. Clement Urpa has shown a red card. Sasha Bowie looks to be out cold. Now through ball. It's a good one. Chance for Bomba. There's the goal. Jonathan Bomba with a super strike. It's Lille's first chance, really. Wanting action. It's a red card. Extraordinary. Well, the challenge has left Rafinha. Rolling on the ground, and Rhinildo, just seven minutes after the sending off of Bowie, has now been given his marching orders. It's ten against ten. Oh, Camavinga again, and Ren have equalised. Damien de Silva turning in after Eduardo Camavinga had flipped on that corner. There's no question that Camavinga coming onto the pitch has changed the complexion of this game. Yeah, this was a pretty interesting game. Um, it was a game that saw uh, Lille, I would say, struggle to, to get a service to their front three somewhat because with, with, uh, they played with Jonathan Bumba wide left, Jonathan Iconi wide right, and uh, the new boy, um, Jonathan David, through the middle. And he was signed for 32 million euros, Canadian international striker, just 20 years of age and it was a really tough debut for him he he only had a, a few touches of the ball um the game changed a little bit with the with the sending off and Lille got the early goal thanks to Jonathan Bamba but as I as I say in the commentary the the turning point was Eduardo Camavinga coming off the bench in the uh in the second half um he had uh, a bit of an injury a small groin injury that he was coming back from that's why he was uh, only on the uh, on the substitutes bench, but uh, Kamavinga making a phenomenal start. He played about half an hour. His touches were all brilliant. And Dave, this guy is seventeen, and he's 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 sort of standing out in matches. You know, even games between top teams. You know, internationals all all over the pitch. This guy is really special. He is, and uh, he's going to be the most important player to Ren this season, and key to their. Champions League challenge. It's great that they're straight into the group stage. I mean, when those quarterfinals of the Europa League went their way, there were big celebrations in Rennes with Stephen and Zonzi uh, alongside him. He's set for another really good season. Uh, Julian Stefan's going to have to be very careful managing his game time, though. He's still only 17 and they're going to be playing a lot of football from October through to February. Um, the other point out of that game, I suppose, yeah, disappointing from Jonathan David because. He's there to replace Victor Ozyman and we know how well Victor Ozyman started last season. You, you don't want to judge a player on one game. From what I've seen of, of David playing in Belgian football, Lille have got themselves a real player. He just didn't show that on his home debut. Yeah, and he just didn't get any service at all. Um, I was, you know, I was keeping a close eye on him and he was making good runs or darting runs in behind. But Lille's midfield, it, it was quite, it was always quite a slow build up. And even Jonathan Bamba used to. He would get the ball, he'd come back, go through the midfield. I just think Christophe Galtier is going to need some time on the training ground to work with, you know, what is something of a, of a new look team. We saw Sven Botman um, 
partnering Jose Font at the back with Gabriel uh, on the verge of a move away. Um, all reports suggesting he's he's Arsenal bound. Um, what do you think, Armel? How do you how how do you see this? Uh, by the way, just to let our listeners know, we've lost Andy Scott. Andy has had to to, to get a flight back, so uh, safe journey back, Andy. Thanks for joining us uh, for the first part, Armel. Um, can Lille be ambitious? Have they brought in good players to replace Ozyman and uh, Gabriel and Loic Remy? I think we can be confident enough that Lille's recruitment is uh, is brilliant. It has been ever since Luis Campos has come in. So I think we can trust him on the uh, quality of the replacements. But just imagine that you were Renato Sanchez. You're playing behind that front three for Lille. You're the one creating. And you're trying to pass the ball. You go, John, yours. Three men turn around. You've got Ikone, David and Bamba. They're going to have to change some legal documents if they ever want to get that front three working together because, I don't know, you, you get how, which John is meant to make the run, make the, yeah, I'm lost. Good point. It's a good point, Armel, and maybe that was the problem. Bit of communication. Uh, I, I was more impressed by Wren. Um, I think it's a, it's a good point for them because they went one down, they were down to 10 men, and then uh, they managed to get back level in terms of the numbers. And then also, of course, on, on, on the score sheet. Dave, what did you make of the second sending off, um, in particular, the challenged by Reynildo, the left back for, for Leo on, on Rafinha. It, w- it was one of those where it was a h- very hard challenge. He went in, he won the ball, and then he's, he's caught the, um, the player with his, with his trailing leg. Is that a red card for you? No. I have to admit, I didn't get to see this game live, so I'd already read reports saying that it was an 80% challenge from behind, totally justified red card. And then when I managed to watch the highlights, I thought, that's a lovely sliding tackle. He wins the ball. Yes, he catches the man afterwards. But it wasn't one of those nasty scissors type challenges, in my opinion. I, I know modern football, physical contact's all but gone out of the game. But um, a yellow card maximum for me. And to be honest, I'd say play on. But I can understand the way football's gone. Maybe you give a yellow, but a red card for that. Do you just not want players to try to win the ball anymore? I second that. I, I, on the commentary, I said it's a red card. So, I mean, I, you know, it's all a question of interpretation. For me, it's a, it's a dangerous tackle. It's a dangerous tackle. It, it's a clean one because he's won the ball with his left foot. In that respect, it's clean. But when you go crashing in like that and you bring your left foot in a scissor-like movement, and it, I think Rafinha did make the most of it as well. And, and, and the thing is, is, I think the referee, you know, there are human referees. And in the back of his mind, he's thinking, I've just sent a Lille player off five minutes before maybe I need to send you off maybe and uh, I believe both of these red cards took place without recourse to VAR didn't they so um, I think it was overly hasty that that would have been worth another look and I I would argue that you can't say it's an uncontrolled challenge when you win the ball that cleanly for me that's a controlled challenge yeah but Dave you're a Newcastle fan you're a rugby fan you like a bit of contact I I, I think looking at the game I think Wren will will be happier and I think they they showed a lot of promise Um, their new signings, Martin Terrier, um, showed glimpses of his quality. We know he's a quality player. He's still only 23. Hit the post in the, in the last five minutes. It could have been a dream debut for him against his, his former team. I thought Naif Aguerre, the uh, centre-back they signed from Dijon, slotted in well alongside Damien De Silva. There's talk another striker is going to come in. They're being linked with Seru Girassi of, uh, of Amiens and also Islam Slimani of Leicester. So... You know, if, if they do have the money in place to make one or two new signings, I think, you know, I think Ren could be in for another, for another strong season under, under Julian Stefan. Another team, Dave and uh, Armel, another team looking to, uh, to push on and certainly improve on their ninth place finish last season 
um, is AS Monaco. Nico Kovac's first game in charge at the weekend. They were at home against Raus, and Angus Turode saw the action for us. believe it Boulay Dia putting David Gui on side in front immediately now a chance for Toure Toure goes for goal and scores Monaco not concentrating again Golovin can he find the delivery this time it's better all the way across and it's in and it's the new man in, would you believe it? Axel Sassi, who scores against his former side. Golovic feeds it to the back post. Badashvili has scored! And Monaco are back on level terms. They've a nightmare start for Niko Kovac, the, uh, the coach who started this season as Bayern Munich manager. Um, but his Monaco side... Uh, Quite a few changes in it. They they came back strongly and they got a 2-2 draw. Very interesting game for Axel Dizassi, the player signed from Rance because he was arguably at fault for the Rance opener scored by Robbie Thompson's favourite, Boulay Dia. But he redeemed himself, both Dizassi and his centre-half partner, Badia Shiel, on the score sheet. A familiar story for Monaco, they really going 2-0 down before they started playing. How many times have we seen that over the last year or so it was happening under Leonardo Jardim Robert Moreno couldn't fix that problem and um, Kovac is going to have to do that otherwise they're going to be a mid-table side again this year they do have quality they do have pace and um, Onyakuru the forgotten man in Monaco played he was marked down at a three out of ten by Lequipe but I still think he's a, a quality player there's um athleticism and quality in their midfield too with Chalmany, Fafana and Golovin who's got a really nice pass on him so I think you've got to give Kovac time as for Rans they're back in Europe and you could argue that based on last season even though there was a only one point in in it between those two clubs when uh, the season came to that premature halt that Rans should have been the more fancy team um and they look like they're going to be decent again this year it got so much respect for what David Guillon has done there and speaking of, of Rouse up front, they've got a very exciting player, 18-year-old Elbid El Torre, who scored their second goal. And the way he pounced on the, I think it might well have been Disassi, who was uh, struggling to control the ball in the middle of the Monaco half. It was at the end of a contentious um, opening for Monaco down the other end of the pitch. Rouse went straight down, Elbid El Torre, head down, ran towards goal and finished from far. Got a few goals last towards the back end of last season in his uh, first few games at this top level. And he started this season with a goal and an impressive one in terms of the confidence needed to take it. We like young talent in this league here, the Uber Eats League. So hopefully he'll deliver. The League of Talents, Armel. It's the League of Talents. And actually, this season, I've been saying this for the last few weeks, I'm, I'm more excited than I have been in a long time because there is... There really is a lot of very, very exciting uh, young talent. Uh, we're going to talk about another exciting young talent, just uh, in case you're tuning in uh, now. You're listening to Le Bourgeois with me, Matt Spiro, with Armel Tangi and David Crossan. We're looking back at round one of the Ligue 1 season um, that, uh, that took place at the weekend. Uh, Dave, you alluded to Leon selling, uh, selling some of their young players. Amin Gouiri, 
um, quit Lyon this summer for Nice. He made his debut at the Alliance Riviera against Lens. What a debut it was. Uh, Lens took the lead. Nice came from behind to win 2-1 thanks to two strikes from this, uh, this very talented young forward, Amin Guiri. His first league and start and a couple of goals playing on the left of a 4-3-3. I, I'm already going to label him as the anti-Mizian Mao leader who was signed last year for uh, 10 million or so, I believe, from Lyon with great expectations that he's not been able to live up to. But Guiri, two quality finishes. The first goal that he scored for me had to be goal of the week in Ligue 1 Uber Eats over the weekend. Lovely curling finish right in under the bar. Uh, the second was very calmly tucked away too. And they look like got a proper player there and that's going to help Nice in their progression. I like what they've done in the transfer market over the summer. Uh, I think they're going to be a very exciting team to watch this year. You know how some starting 11s, when you just see them on paper, look exciting, look well-balanced, look have they've got players that you think, oh yeah, he's got something about him. I look at Nice's starting 11 even this weekend. Okay, I, I, They had some players that came off the bench who aren't quite so experienced, but their starting 11 really inspires something for me. Casper Dolberg and Amin Guiri up front, supported by Alexis Claude Maurice. That's, uh, that's danger for everyone, I think, in Liga. And they did that without Youssef Attal. Um, Camera made his debut at left-back. Um, yeah, they, they look like they're going to be better this year than last year. Yeah, and a spine of Benitez, Dante and Schneiderlin, which is enough to point fingers and tell people where to go. We saw some nice pieces of skill from Gael Kakuta, um, one of the players that Lance have brought in. It's going to be a, a case of battling for survival for Les Saint-Yors, who have magnificent support at the Stade Félix Bollard. Unfortunately, they're not going to have that many supporters, 5,000 in um, for their first home game. But Armel, you you know, you would assume they're going to be battling near the bottom. Yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, you you think that when teams come up, don't you? Especially a team that hasn't been in the first division for a while. But um, signing Kakuta and Seiko Fofana, the latter especially, was a big surprise. He was linked with a bunch of Italian clubs playing for European places. And he's come to Lens instead. I think... It's important to give them a chance in the first half against Nice. They were very positive and very unlucky not to have been awarded a second penalty. You can't rely on spot kicks all season. But what they showed anyway in that first game didn't make me feel that they're going to you know, be battling 19th, 20th all season. Ganago did a Raheem Sterling, didn't he? He put one over the bar from about three metres out, uh, playing against the club he left in the summer. And uh, yeah, no, not the greatest finishing from him. Uh, for league and aficionados, there's something that we have to talk about as a footnote here. Lance captain Yannick Kozak, back in the top flight and back with a yellow card in the 51st minute. Only a yellow card. He's, he's the red card specialist, isn't he, uh, Yannick Kozak, formerly of... Bastia. Great to, great to have him back. Great to have uh, Lance back. Um, great to have our listeners back this, uh, this season. If you do have any questions for us on uh, Le Bourgeois, the official Ligue 1 Uber Eats podcast in collaboration with BT Sport, please do send us emails, league1podcast at gmail.com and we'll give you a shout out. We'll try our best to answer your questions. Uh, Lance uh, returning to Ligue 1 with a defeat. FC Lorient returning to Ligue 1 with a victory. 3-1, they uh, defeated Strasbourg. Strasbourg took the lead, but a fantastic uh, reaction from Christophe Pelletier's team. Johan Wisser, Adrian Gerbic, and uh, Pierre-Yves Amel scoring the, um, the goals for Lorient. 
Um, we've, we've caught up with uh, Adrian Gerbic this week. He's a very talented young forward from Austria who scored 17 goals, 18 goals in, in, in Ligue 2 for Clermont last season. He had a great season for Clermont. He's been snapped up by Lorient and he's very, very excited about um, his first season in Ligue 1. This is uh, what he had to say, speaking to our colleague Bilal Bouazouni about, um, about the challenge of playing in Ligue 1 and why he joined Lorient. Of course, they expect a lot of me and um, of course I'm here to, to progress, you know, to progress in, in Liga, to make the next step and I want to help my team with scoring goals. It's important to not make a big pressure, you know, because if you make a pressure and you don't score, uh, then you feel not free in your head and in your legs and you feel it on the, on the, on the pitch. For me, it was an easy, easy uh, decision to join Lorient because I know the club from last year, I know the players, I know the staff, I know the club, so... So I know, I know very, very much about Lorient and uh, that's why it makes it so easy to me to come Lorient. I look, I look a lot of the, uh, of the history of Lorient and I know there are so good players um, who make after a bigger step to another club. So um, as I say, the project for me, it's very good here and uh, we will see what the future will bring. Really good to hear from an ambitious young Austrian forward there. Yeah, 17 goals for Clermont last season, 9 million euros he cost the Brittany club. There was stiff competition for his services and Lorient won out there and that's going to be a, a very important signing for them. I'm full of admiration for what Christophe Pellissier has done with Lorient. He took a bit of a gamble leaving Amiens to step down a division. It's paid off as he got Lorient back up as champions and they've clearly got goals in them because Wisser scored 15 last season in Ligue 2. Uh, Pierre-Yves Amel, you saw the way he celebrated his goal off the bench. He's keen to show Christophe Pellissier that he's still around and he wants game time. He got just under double figures in Ligue 2 last season. Uh, from going 1-0 down, showing great character, uh, admittedly against a Strasbourg team that, much like Nantes, have been really hit by COVID-19 positives over the summer and have had their preparations disrupted. But an impressive start back in Ligue and life after th- three seasons in Ligue 2 for Lorient. And the best pre-match warm-up kit I've seen so far when they... Uh arrive on the pitch, you know, with all their masks and their ear pods in, taking photos for their Snapchats and that. They're all wearing uh, the, the Marinière tops, the white tops with the little blue stripes that you see a lot of in the Breton region. So Lorient, instead of going with uh, zipped up trackies and that, looking very classy. That's worth at least six points over the season in my book. Yeah, For more fashion tips, you can follow Armel Tangi on, on Twitter. Armel, just um, a quick word from you about the other game that we haven't mentioned yet, fantastic start to the season for Nîmes. The Crocodiles beating Brest by four goals to nil at uh, the Stade des Costières. Armel, um, an impressive win and one player in particular um, caught your eye. Sorry, Matt, it's not Kevin Denke this time. I know you're a big fan of his. But it's the, uh, the, the new signing, the Norwegian left-back Birger Merling, um, who had an absolutely fantastic first afternoon at the uh, at the Stade de Costier scoring a goal half an hour in and set, setting up another inside the uh, the first half as well he set up the first in fact and scored the second and he's you know one of the transfers that I speak for myself that I hadn't heard that much about this summer so it's always nice to see uh, small clubs getting a bit of business done like that and let's just hope that um, Birger Merling continues in this vein throughout the rest of the season 
I, I was put onto him by a, a friend of the show, Mark Rodden, uh, an Irish journalist based uh, in Dublin who has commentated Rosenborg in the past and he sent me a text when they signed Merling saying watch out for him and he sent me another half an hour into the game saying told you so so fair play Mark you're spot on what a lovely touch he's got and he made some great runs linked so well with Roman Filippotto um Brendan Chardonnay what a name bottled it didn't he bottled it It wasn't a vintage game for Chardonnay nutmeg by Filippotto in the lead up to the the, um, Merling goal and then sent off later for a bad foul on Musacone well, uh, Nîmes struggled badly last season, and had they um, not um, had the season not stopped early, they may well have have been relegated. We'll never know. But great start for them. They're in fine fettle. Zinedine Ferrat, another very well named uh, player, a playmaker for Nîmes, also really influential. He's a good player. We'll have to keep our eyes on the crocodiles this season. Um, that pretty much sums up the action from last weekend. We're going to to take a look forward now to next weekend. Lots of matches coming up in round two and uh, we're going to go on uh, on a bon voyage and, uh, yeah, get out of Paris and, and, and have a look at some of the action. Well, it's not that easy to, um, to travel at the moment, but the trains are running and uh, 5,000 people are allowed into Ligue 1 Stadium. So... Uh, an opportunity for us to get out and see a little bit of football. I'll give you a quick uh, rundown of, uh, of the big games, the games that are going to be televised, notably in, uh, in the UK on BT Sport this weekend. Leon versus Dijon on Friday evening. That is uh, 2045 local time, 1945 in the UK. Rennes versus Montpellier. That's a five o'clock Saturday afternoon kickoff, 4 p.m. in the UK. Lens versus uh, PSG. That's a Saturday evening game, assuming Paris Saint-Germain aren't given uh, more time off to, uh, to recover from their Champions League exertions. Uh, 20.45 local time, 19.45 in the UK. And then on Sunday, uh, Rounds versus Lille, 1 o'clock in France, 12 o'clock in the UK. Metz versus Monaco, 3 o'clock in France, 2 o'clock in the UK. Strasbourg-Nice is uh, at 5 o'clock at France, therefore 4 p.m. You're probably getting the drift of this now. Uh, 4 p.m. in the UK. Brest versus Marseille, the big Sunday night clash, 2045. Um, a big one for Brest, beaten 4-0. And um, a big one for Marseille. It's their opening game of the season. Uh, that's therefore at 1945 in the UK. Armel Tangi, where do you fancy going this weekend? Brest. Yeah, I like that part of the world. I'll see if they warm up in a Marinière as well. And uh, Marseille's first game of the season. It'll be interesting to see what they've got, whether they're just all about Twitter banter after PSG's loss or whether they're actually going to do something themselves this season. I think that's got the makings of a a decent encounter. Plus, it's one of these smaller stadiums in France, so the 5,000 limit will be a, a little less obvious than perhaps at the Parc des Princes. I'm going to go to Lyon. I think you've got to take every chance you can to see the Champions League semi-finalists because Sporting Director Juninho has admitted that this transfer window is going to be more of a selling transfer window than a buying one from Lyon. So if you want to see those Champions League heroes, the likes of Aoua, Dembele and Depay playing together, you better do it quickly. So I'm going to go to watch Lyon Dijon. I'm going to go to Rennes. Um, Rennes are playing Montpellier. Two reasons that I'm going to go to Rennes. One is because all the Parisians are are coming back into Paris. They're all leaving Brittany. Uh, That's what happens at the end of August. Everybody floods back in. So it's a great time to go to Brittany. The beaches will be quiet. Um, But the main reason 
is quite simply to watch Eduardo Camavinga because I, I got 30 minutes of him last weekend and this guy is just phenomenal. He glides across a football pitch. Um, he, he's, he can dribble, he can pass, he can tackle. He, I just think he's the real deal. And if I can get to see him for 90 minutes against Montpellier, well, I will take that opportunity um, with both hands. That, I think, concludes our podcast. Unless Armel wants to make a, another point. I just, just wanted to say he looks good in the number 10 shirt, doesn't he? Really suits him. Yeah, does he? Yeah, well, he's, he's changed this summer. Oh, he's number ten now. Yeah, is he? I, number I, 10 I, now. I didn't notice. I mean, he's not really going to play as a number ten, is he? But he 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 did accelerate forward, and he was pretty much their their creator. Just a wonderful all round midfield player. David Crossan, thank you very much for for joining us today. Armel Tangi, thank you. Special special thank you to Dave as well um, because he's he's invited us into our into his home. But we'll be back in our usual studio, I think, once Robbie Thompson. Uh, has recovered from the trauma of the Champions League final. Sorry to end on a on a disappointing note. It's been it's been great fun, guys. We'll be back with another um, Le Bourgeois podcast. Ligue 1 Uber Eats, of course, returns to your screens uh, next weekend. We'll see you again next Monday. All the very best. Bye. Beautifully done! Sensational!